What's up, Broncos country? What's up, Broncos country? This is Phil Lindsay. Justin Simmons here. This is Alexander Johnson. Hey, I'm Vaughn Miller, and you're listening to the Nutra Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined as always by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime, really the best way to describe this person, my everything. It's at Eric Dalala. I'm a very happy at Eric Dalala today, Phil. Yeah, a special Friday edition of the Neutral Zone. I assume you're just happy because we get to record a podcast, right? Well, this is the third one this week, so of course I'm happy. It's been a nice more, week. Yeah, the more neutral zones, the better. Normally, it's Orange Friday before a big Broncos game on Sunday or Monday, but today it's called Victory Friday. Is that because the Broncos won? In my yes, fall? it yeah. is because the Broncos went, won their first uh, victory of the season, 37-28 over the Jets. Eric, they tried to lose that game at the end, but uh, they held on. <laughs> That's true. It was a uh, touch and go there for a while. You know, they jumped out to a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, and I thought, wow, they might, uh, you know, start to pull away here. This might be an easy win to get your first one of the season. It was not to be. A couple of fourth-quarter interceptions ensured it was much closer than it needed to be. We'll uh, have a complete breakdown of the game, plus we'll talk about Brett Rippon. His first career start, I thought, looked pretty good. Uh, we'll get into that. We'll talk about Bradley Chubb. He's back. He's a, he's officially arrived for the 2020 season. And then also uh, Jerry Judy and the Broncos playmaker situation now as they get uh, a long weekend off before getting set to face a, a really tough Patriots team. So uh, we'll have that all uh, covered coming up here on this episode, Eric. But uh, – it's a lot better to go back and dissect a game, even though there were a lot of ups and downs after a win. Yeah, Phil, I read something similar to that after the game, that the last few weeks the Broncos have failed to make these winning plays or a sequence of negative plays has happened. You think back to the Pittsburgh game where, you know, Drew Locke loses a fumble, then Michael Ogermudia drops an interception, and then Ben Roethlisberger, uh, you know, then they're able to score a touchdown – those were the things that killed the Broncos in the past. This week, they had more of those good sequences where they were where they were able to stack plays in a row, whether it was, uh, you know, Bradley Chubb's sack and then Melvin Gordon's touchdown or uh, a deep pass to Tim Patrick and then a Brandon McManus field goal. They did more of the good things. And like you mentioned, Phil, still plenty of things to fix, but they were able to get on the right side of those sequences, and that's why they were able to win the game. And, I mean, some of the highlights, obviously, were they got the ground game going. Melvin Gordon had a really nice game. Uh, Brett Rippon came out and uh, made some nice passes. I thought uh, the defense was able to dial up some blitzes and get some pressure finally. You know, but on the flip side, they got bailed out by a lot of penalties. They extended a lot of drives with some just knucklehead plays from the Jets. I'm not sure what was going on with the Jets. That's probably the most personal fouls I've seen in a long time. I don't know if they were trying to rattle Rippin early or if they were just trying to be more aggressive. Not sure what happened there, but the Broncos did get bailed out by a lot of uh, penalties. They were able to uh, extend some drives. And uh, on the defensive side, they were able to hold the Jets to a lot of field goals where if those were – 
touchdowns or something, this game could have been much different. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the defense stepped up when it needed to, I thought. You know, they weren't uh, spectacular the entire night, but they held them to 42% from uh, on third down, like you mentioned, Phil, 0 of 2 on fourth down, which was obviously important there late in the game. And it seemed like they made the adjustments they needed to. One that will probably go somewhat unnoticed is after the Jets receivers really had their way early in the game, Vic Fangio moved Bryce Callahan into the slot and said, you're going to take Jamison Crowder because he's their best receiver and we're going to put Bosby on the outside. And that was an in-game adjustment that paid off well for the Broncos because the Jets, uh, you know, if it weren't for those two fourth quarter interceptions, they didn't do a whole lot there in the second half, really, you know, some field goal drives. Um, and of course a touchdown off the first interception, but um yeah, the defense stood up when it needed to. And Phil, you can say the offense wouldn't have, and I agree with this, the offense may not have scored as many points without those penalties, but they converted a lot of necessary third downs. They were able to take those penalties and get into field goal range. They scored some red zone touchdowns and converted on those opportunities. So I thought overall you did enough to win. Um, It just got a little closer than you might like in the fourth quarter. Yeah, a little bit closer considering the opponent, too. I mean, let's not confuse the Jets for, like, one of the top teams in the AFC. So, you know, I think that you would have liked that game to have just been put away uh, and uh, gone off to bed, not having to worry about the outcome of the game. But, uh, you know, I think that there's something to be said for learning how to win some of these games, how to execute in clutch moments. And the Broncos certainly were able to do that. I think that – if you're inside the team here, you're feeling pretty good about heading into the weekend after a win, and now you feel like, and you heard this in the uh, post-game uh, locker room, the victory speech, that let's try to get this into some momentum and keep it going. And, uh, you know, we'll see if the Broncos are able to do that, but there were a lot of things that I think you're pleased, you know, on this Friday after a win like that. Uh, let's get into Brett Rippon's game a little bit here. You know, Eric, it looked like, uh, you know, once he settled in early on, it didn't seem like the moment was too big for him. But uh, maybe trying to do a little too much in that fourth quarter, considering uh, the circumstances in the game. Yeah, in the, in the first quarter, or excuse me, the first half, Phil, he goes 9 of 11, has a 110 quarterback rating. Looks really good. I think we're thinking maybe Drew Locke can take his time here and uh, – <laughs> Make sure he's 100% before rushing back. Brett Rippon looked really good with the exception of kind of an, an errant throwaway that he meant to get out of bounds. Yeah, in the fourth quarter, Phil, I think one maybe bad decision. And then he acknowledged, I think, on the pick six that it was just a coverage he'd never seen before. And some of that I think you can expect when you're not the starter, when you've got only really three days to prepare for this game, when Greg William dials up some – exotic uh, coverages and blitzes. What I was encouraged by is that Rippon was able to come back down the field and lead the Broncos on a scoring drive because I kind of had the sense, you know, he threw two interceptions and three pass attempts, I believe. And after that, I was like, this might not go well. Do they need to put in Jeff Driscoll? Is he, is Brett Rippon too rattled to come back and do this? And uh, he was sacked on third down on that ensuing drive and got bailed out by a face mask and was able to then hit Tim Patrick. And, you know, that drive wasn't perfect either, Phil. He ended up taking 
a bad intentional grounding penalty that you've got to know that if you're you've got to get out of the pocket in that situation if you're going to throw it away um, or at least have it in the area of a receiver. But I, I think it's positive that he responded the way he did and was able to get the Broncos to points. And, you know, we talk about beating the Jets and how they're not a great team. Let's not forget, though, you had to go on the road to the East Coast on Thursday night, a short week, with all these players missing, and you're doing it with your third-string quarterback. And so we've talked a lot about how without Drew Locke, this team just needs to kind of hang on. Can you hover around 500 without Drew Locke? Um, and so a win in any way, I think, is a testament to Brett Rippon's ability. And I think that Fangio put it well, just simply saying it was up and down. I mean, uh, early on, he hung tough in the pocket. He took some shots down the field, uh, gave his playmakers an opportunity to uh, make some big grabs. We saw, obviously, Jerry Judy, but I thought Tim Patrick had a heck of a game. Uh, the touchdown pass in the, over the middle to Patrick in the end zone there, I thought that was a really that – mu- that pass had to be right on the money, and it was. Uh, but then, yeah, I think that uh, in that fourth quarter, maybe a, a couple of throws that uh, when you're facing Fresno State or Nevada, maybe maybe you're able to uh, beat the cornerback, drop drop a, a ball into some tight holes there. But that's not going to work in the NFL. And, you know, Brett Rippon was definitely attacking Pierre Desir all night long. I mean, whenever he got into trouble, he just looked to where Desir was and tried to throw it that way. Desir made him pay a couple of times, especially on that pick six. But, uh, you know, Rippon also got him a few times. So uh, I I just thought that for his first start on the road like that, uh, that's probably, you know, what you would uh, hope to expect is that maybe a couple of those interceptions you get back, but you knew he was going to he knew he was going to make some mistakes here and there, but for the most part, looked poised. He took a lot of shots, Eric. He's probably feeling pretty sore this morning, especially after not getting hit that way for a couple of years now. To to wake up today after that, I'm sure he's feeling it. Yeah, he got blasted a few times, especially there at the end. And even though the Broncos lost the turnover battle three to nothing, in some ways, because of all those penalties, the Jets gave all the advantage from those turnovers back because there were several times the Broncos would have punted and uh, a late hit, uh, roughing the passer, a face mask, gave the Broncos new life. So like you mentioned before, I don't know what they were doing, but one thing with Brett Rippon that I think is it makes sense given that he's a young quarterback. When he had a clean pocket, this is according to Pro Football Focus, had a 125 quarterback rating. When he faced pressure, that was 106 so uh, we know, Phil, that Bill Belichick is the mastermind of attacking what your weakness is. We'll see still if Brett Rippon is going to be the starter in uh, week five in New England. But if he is, I'd imagine the Patriots would dial up some pressure to try to get to him. Phil, one thing I'd like to get your opinion Ooh. on is Skip Bayless. I don't know if you've heard of him. I heard of Skip Bayless before, yeah. He tweeted last night, I like this Rippon kid more than I do Drew Locke. Stop. I mean, Bayless is uh, paid to create controversy and get people riled up. Uh, I I don't know if this is a good comparison or a fair comparison after just one game, but Brett Rippon, I was getting some serious Trevor Simeon vibes. Just 
smart, smart quarterback, able to execute the offense, able to make some plays, but not the strongest arm, not the most athletic guy. Uh, especially after that pick six, I was like, this guy's the second coming of Trevor Simeon here. Because, uh, okay. hey, that's not a shot. I'll just say the last pick six thrown by a Broncos quarterback was Trevor Simeon. So That's true. You, you know, I think if he could be Trevor Simeon, the Broncos would probably be pretty happy because – Of course they you know, would be. Other than Drew Locke and, I guess, uh, Brett Rippon here technically because he's 1-0. and Trevor Simeon is the only quarterback besides Drew Locke since Pete Manning retired to have a winning record. So, uh, Brett Rippon can – Rippon proved to be a very capable backup quarterback in the NFL. Well, we should hang out with Brett Rippon, too, then. Exactly, yes. Trevor's our guy, so. Exactly, exactly. There's a Northwestern connection for you there, Eric. It's true. There's you, just uh, a, you lived just, in the Northwest one time, so it's kind of the same thing for Brett. I was just going to say, we're just sort of bros. We're bros. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I thought he did a good job. I was a little bit – speaking of, uh, again, some controversy going, what do you think about the end of the game there, Eric? Uh, it wasn't just the end of the game. Um, obviously, that last hit, the helmet to helmet, where they just decked Rippon, um, was ridiculous to me. But it just felt like the whole game – I don't want to go as far as to say they were instructed to, to you know – hit ripping hard, but the NFL has been pretty clear with their rules about how you hit the quarterback over the last few years. And many, many teams have done a good job of adjusting to those rules and those new regulations. And it wasn't just once it happened several times, which is why I'm interested. It piqued my curiosity. Uh, the Jets just seem to have no interest in, in holding up after either ripping through the ball away or after, uh, you know, he wasn't sacked, but after he completed a pass, they were either still driving into him, they were trying to drive him into the ground. It just felt, it felt like maybe they were two seconds behind the play, and you, don't, you hardly ever see that in the NFL now. I was going to say, there's a couple of things at play here. One, when Greg Williams is your defensive coordinator – and all these penalties start to rack up, especially personal foul penalties like this, you can't help but wonder, you know, just considering the bounty gate and everything that happened in New Orleans, you just, your mind just wanders in that direction. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that we know that there's bad blood with Adam Gase there. The last time the Broncos faced a, a Gase coach team in Miami, he did the onside kick there late in the game with a big lead. So then so considering those two things, you just have to wonder, okay, what's going on here? And especially at the end of the game, because early on, maybe you can understand them trying to rattle Brett Rippon. Hey, it's his first start. Let's show him what this game's all about. Let's try to make him feel some pressure. Let's make him think in the back of his mind, hey, do I really want to step into this throw? You know, you could understand that. But at the end of the game, the Broncos are just trying to run out the clock. And uh, I just don't think that I, – I didn't like that personally, just get, hitting him like that. Shouldn't have done that. The, the game's over. To me, very similar to the way you would do um, a, a kneel, kneel down victory formation. When, in that situation, as a defensive lineman, you don't rush the line. 
you know, same, same situation here where, you know, they're just trying to run out the clock. He's just trying to throw the ball up into the air to waste a few more seconds. You don't need to come in and just blast him. Right. So I, I not, I, I just, uh, I don't like that. And to your point, Eric, you know, on that Sam Darnold run, that, that first touchdown of the game, some great moves there by Sam Darnold. But I also think you even saw it on the Kareem Jackson. You don't want to just come in and blast the quarterback. As a defender, you know, like, hey, I got to be aware here. If he slides, I don't want to come in and blast him. I can't do take a penalty there. Uh, even the Justin Simmons, he got juked there. But, you know, just when you're about to hit the quarterback as a defender, you got to know some things in the back of your mind. So, yeah. And, you know, Vic Fangio got the team off the field quickly at the end of the game there. He said, we're going straight to the locker room. Um, I believe Mike Kliss said it was the first time in nearly a decade, maybe more than a decade, that a Broncos head coach has not shaken the opposing coach's hand. I think he said Charles Haley, maybe, or excuse me, that's, that's Todd Haley. Todd, Todd Haley. Haley. And Josh uh, McDaniels. And Josh McDaniels. Yeah, that Chiefs game, of course. That's the one where Todd Haley's pointing his finger, you know, at Josh McDaniels. So, um, but despite all that, I mean, Phil, I don't want to see a Broncos player get fined or tossed or suspended in that situation. But when your quarterback's getting blasted like that at the end of the yes. game, I would have had no problem if Dalton Reisner had something to say about it to somebody on that defensive line. Don't need to get a penalty, but you definitely need to stick up for your quarterback there. That, that just, uh, to me, you know, like, uh, Eric, when you watch the NBA playoffs, not to go off on a big tangent here, but sometimes – They're not in there, right? The Nuggets are no longer in there. Okay, sorry. Sometimes you need, like, an aggressor, somebody who sticks up for your star players, someone mm-hmm. who's just a tough guy to set the tone. Rodman. Guys like that. Rodman. Uh, more recently, Draymond Green. Uh, more recently Dwight Howard has become that sometimes you just need a guy who says Caruso this this isn't going to be happening today and I felt like maybe that was an opportunity there for a Reisner or a Bulls somebody to just be like no we're not doing this yeah we're not doing this so Anyway, uh, that, those are our thoughts there. Uh, Eric, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, – uh, oh, did you have one other thought here? I'm sorry. No, I would just say that, to me, that end-of-game scenario, the the hit on Rippon, I don't put on Geese because, you know, I don't think he's instructing them in that situation. I assume Greg Williams is instructing his defense. But Geese set that situation up by calling the timeouts, which did not need to be called because even if – you know, you can do the math in your head. The Broncos were going to, even if they punted it or kicked a field goal or whatever, there's 13 seconds left. I mean, you could do nothing. You could just hand them the ball and say, run for a touchdown. They wouldn't even be able to do that in the amount of time that they would have left. And so to pretend like you've still got a chance to win and drag it out like that was just unnecessary. Yeah. And I, after that uh, roughing the passer that put the Broncos in field goal range, I wouldn't even have minded it if uh, Fangio sent McManus out there just to get a little excl- exclamation point. Hey, throw it to Judy again. Let's get yeah. another tub. Take a yeah. shot in the end zone. Yeah, exactly. We'll play. I would have I liked that. That would have set a little bit of a tone back back there because, hey, even if there was a disaster on that play and they returned it for a touchdown, the clock would have expired. So Maybe they should have just done an onside kick like right there. 
<laughs> kick that into the jet sideline. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your onside kick. Exactly. Exactly. So obviously uh, some bad blood there, but uh, when you come out on top, I'm sure that plane ride back uh, felt pretty good uh, for the Broncos. Eric, uh, let's talk about Jerry Judy there in that performance. Uh, the touchdown that he had straight up Randy Moss this year. Uh, you like to see that. LeBron James giving him a shout out. I think you asked nope. Jerry Judy about that. I did, Phil. He was pumped up. Yeah. Said, uh, that's next level. He, he did call LeBron the GOAT. I'm not sure why he did that, but uh, uh, who knows? But Jerry Judy probably wasn't even bored when Michael Jordan was still playing against uh, the postal workers that he faced in the NBA. Gosh, you youngins, you youngins, you just don't know. But no, I think Judy, that's the type of play you expect him to make. Um, He beat Desir badly and, you know, had the ball been in front of him, it might not have been as impressive of a touchdown catch because it would have just been easy. But the fact that he fought back to the ball, ripped it right out of a grown man's hands, a veteran in this league who's played a lot of football. I mean, that was impressive. I'd like to see him still be involved more. Those were his only two, you know, he had that in a 13 yard catch and had four targets, which was the third most on the team. But, you know, they must've found something they liked with Tim Patrick, because that was the guy they went back to again and again. Yes. I mean, uh, I, I thought Judy could have even been targeted even more in this game. Yeah. Uh, just keep going back to him. But I I like the way that uh, Rippon got a lot of guys involved. Tim Patrick, after the game, Vic Fangio said, hey, this guy's a quality NFL wide receiver. Uh, you saw some of the catches that he made, especially that third down grab along the sideline there that put the Broncos in field goal position. Uh, you know, it seems like the Broncos just have a wealth of talent now at wide receiver, even though Cortland Sutton is out for the season. It still feels like guys are getting open. They're able to make plays. This offense can still put up some points here, even though they're missing one of their top guys. And, yeah, for Judy, you know, to finally get in the end zone, maybe that just opened up that door where first couple of weeks he couldn't get there, but now he's found the end zone. Sometimes, Eric, you know, when you go to an ice cream shop, you want to get just a little taste. You're like, hey, what is that – you know, caramel fudge crunch tastes like. And do you get that little spoon? Caramel f- fudge crunch, got it. So you get that little, you get the little spoon and you get that taste. And then you're like, I'm going to need a full waffle cone full of that. I where think they, that. Where do they serve caramel fudge crunch ice cream? That, that's a, that a, that a classic <laughs> flavor. Yeah, that's a, down yeah. at the local ice cream shop. Sweet baby cooies. That's where they got that. Not a sponsor, but a nice part. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. King Super's brand ice cream. You can find it in your freezer aisle. Exactly. Uh, but maybe that that touchdown and some of the hype that came around it, that was just that little spoon for Jerry. Mm. And the rest of the season is going to be that waffle cone. You know what I'm talking about? Wouldn't it be like a bigger scoop? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You one is ice cream, the other is a cone. You get a you get a taste and you want to come back for more. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I thought even uh, sorry to move away from your ice cream 
comparison there, but I thought even more impressive than maybe not more impressive, but equally as impressive as his catch on the 48 yarder was the 13 yarder he had was in traffic, uh, went up above his head, made a nice catch. And we've talked the last few weeks, Phil, about some concentration drops maybe for Judy. Uh, so I was pleased to not see that happen. It showed maybe a, a step in the right direction and he's going to have to continue to step up here. We, uh, as we're recording this, don't have an update on KJ Hamler yet. It sounds like Noah Fant is probably going to be fine. But Phil, this is, here's a little stat for you. You love stats, and I'm sorry to take this from you for next week. Bring it. But according to NFL research, Jerry Judy is the sixth rookie since the 1970 merger with at least 50 receiving yards in each of his first four games. The uh, According to who? NFL research. So you didn't just come up with that stat by yourself? I wouldn't just tweet that and pretend like I came up with it. Got it. Okay, got yeah. it. Uh, Phil, here's some of the other guys on this on that list. Anquan Bolden, Stephon Diggs, Andre Johnson. I mean, those are there's a couple other guys on there that are not quite as uh, you legendary. Name those, you don't name those guys out. But uh, that's a nice little group. You know, if, if Jerry Judy became Andre Johnson, I think the Broncos would probably be pretty happy. A little bit different style of player. Uh, there, but uh, yes, definitely. Think, I mean, if he could, you think Jerry Judy could punch Corlin Finnegan in the face? <laughs> That's the best one of the best fights in NFL history, yeah, because it actually like got like it didn't just get broken up immediately, like they had some time to go after each other. It was nice, yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, I thought that great game by Jerry Judy. You hope to see that keep continuing for him, and uh, you know. I just want to see him get fed the ball more because we all know about his route running. The guy is open. So like, let's just get him the ball. You know, let's keep, keep, keep him in, involved in the game. And uh, you know, good things are going to happen. I think if you do that, Eric, I know that uh, you busted out a nice little stat there, but uh, I'll say this about Tim Patrick, his first 100 yard receiving game, six catches, 113 yards. So it's like a little baby stat. That's a sampling. I gave you the waffle cone. Simpleton. So I will say about the Judy targets, just because I think it's easy to say Judy needs more targets. No, Fant needs more targets. Uh, Melvin Gordon needs more tar- needs more targets and carries. Like you can't do everything every game, obviously. And so, to me, because I know you mentioned that to me at halftime that Judy needs more targets. At that point, the Broncos had four possessions. And they scored on three of them. And the, the one they didn't score on was just a Brett Rippon targeted Pierre Desir on the sideline instead of anybody on his team. But, you know, that to me, if you're having team success, I'm yeah, not going to yeah. sit there and be like, Jerry Judy needs more targets if you've gone touchdown, touchdown, field goal. Yes. I, I'm just trying to be nitpicky here. I know. You're good at it. I I – I am trying to be nitpicky here. It, I, I did like that. I thought that actually, I thought Pat Shermer did a heck of a job. I mean, I got to give a little shout out here because on a short week working with a guy who's never started an NFL game, I thought that he created a lot of plays where guys were wide open. I mean, uh, uh, the Tim Patrick play on the sideline, the even the Deshaun Hamilton where it got lost in the lights a little bit there. I don't that know what happened on that. Could have been an easy touchdown there. Uh, Eric, sometimes I will say this about Hamilton. Like uh, back when I used to play, I'm talking about on the playground. Uh-huh. Uh huh. This was if, in the mid 30s. The forward pass wasn't was even legal. 
sometimes when the ball goes over the wrong shoulder and I don't know this from experience, but with a helmet on and in the lights, like there's a lot going on there where you could just sort of lose it. But, but yes, you would hope that a, a wide open guy, you can find a way to make that play. I mean, but, this is not Colorado. Nice yeah. This is the NFL and you need to make that play because you just take a shot against my buffs. Sorry. That's huh. not Northwestern. Um, I'll take a shot at my own guys. You got to make a play there, I, in my opinion. But. Because, you know, Tim Patrick makes a great play, and, and Brett Rippon really delivered a nice ball on that pass. But say that Tim Patrick's foot comes down out of bounds, and now all of a sudden it's fourth and seven, and you're deciding with four minutes left, do you punt the ball? Do you go for it? You know, what do you do in this situation? Then you look back after the game and you maybe say, well, man, if Brett Rippon could have hit Deshaun Hamilton there, Deshaun Hamilton could have located that ball maybe the Broncos win. And that's what we were talking about before with the sequences and being on the right side of those plays, the Broncos were able to rebound a little bit better from the negative plays. Phil, with Shermer, I know everyone's going to look at that last drive, you know, where Tim Patrick caught the ball. They're able to take the go ahead field goal. But my favorite drive from him was in the third quarter when the Broncos go 13 yards, or excuse me, 13 plays, 75 yards, they had the ball for seven minutes, and they had a nice mix of run and pass. And if you're talking about how do you drain time off the clock, how do you keep a young quarterback making his first start comfortable, that's the way you do it. I mean, that was a perfect drive. Yeah, and they really committed to Melvin Gordon. He was able to bust loose on a couple of big runs. Uh, his 10th career 100-yard rushing game finished with 107 yards, 23 carries. I love that. 23 carries, that's what he needs – he needs to be the workhorse. Vic Fangio called him a top back in this league, and they got to feed him. Just let him go. Especially, I liked how they designed some stuff where they got him free on the left side of the line. They pulled Graham Glasgow a couple of times, and that really opened up some stuff on the left side. Garrett Bowles, another great game. Uh, Dalton Reisner played okay. There was a couple of times where he just whiffed on a guy, but – uh, okay game there. And yeah, I love the the running game there. And uh, Pat Schirmer did a really nice job uh, and uh, put Brett Rippon in a position and the whole Broncos offense really in position to succeed. Um, Eric, let's, um, is that okay if we talk about the defense for a second or did you want to? Of wanna... course. Just, I think one thing with Brett on that drive is they just, they didn't get in many third downs. You know, they were able to, you know, instead of, it was second and four, it was second and, three you know they're able to stay ahead of the chains and that's what makes you successful positive plays keep that momentum going and i agree with you uh <clears throat> eric i was going to say though on the defensive side you talk about some of those missed opportunities Devonte bosby had an interception just hit his hands oh man he makes that play and the game is over but you know uh thankfully bradley chubb able to uh bring down Darnold on fourth down there for the broncos because if that's another one of those plays that if you lose, you go back and you just really hammer that one in. Yeah. Just the way things have gone here, Phil, for the Broncos in these tight games, you're just expecting that, you know, Darnold's going to find somebody for 15 yards and they didn't need, they didn't need a lot, Phil. They, I mean, it was fourth and three at the 50 yard line. If you get 10 more yards, you're, uh, you know, you're on the edge of field goal range. If you get 15 you're pretty comfortable there around a 50-yard field goal. I mean, the, let's not pretend like the Broncos weren't right on the edge there of being in trouble because 
we've seen, you know, they couldn't stop the Titans when they were in that situation. We've seen last year that uh, they struggled to hold the Raiders. They struggled to hold the Bears and the Jaguars. I mean, this again and again, the situation has come up and the Broncos, the Colts, the Broncos have allowed field goals. And so when you're at the 50 yard line with two minutes to play, I was a little nervous. And when that, when that ball goes off Bosby's hands, I'm thinking that was it. That was, that's the play that you're going to look back and say, man, if you only make that play, you're one and three. And again, if you feel like you're one or two plays away, but Bradley, Bradley did it. And uh, Bosby did play well uh, coming in there. And uh, Fangio was very complimentary of him after the game, but yeah, that's one of those plays where after a loss, you're, you're killing yourself after a win, you almost sort of forgot about that play. So, uh, but yeah, let's talk about Bradley Chubb here a little bit. Seems like uh, he is officially back from that ACL tear. It was a uh, week four last year when uh, that, that uh, injury happened against the Jags week four this year, two and a half sacks for Chubb. And uh, you know, we, we heard from him after the game feels like he's doing really well. He had been battling some tetanitis in that knee. Tet, tetanitis? Tendinitis. There you go. Tendinitis. There you go. Uh, in that knee as he works his way back. Some of it mental, too, just uh, being able to trust that knee. And, uh, you know, Darnold did hold the ball for quite some time there, and they were in obvious passing p- positions there. But uh, nonetheless, I'm not going to hold that against him. Bradley Chubb looked really good. Yeah, I mean, two and a half sacks, it'll probably become three, I think, you know, when the NFL gets a chance to look back at the game. I think that first one that he split with Shelby Harris is probably going to end up as his alone. Um, And five quarterback pressures might be even more impressive just because he was back there a lot. And you just got to feel good for the guy, Phil, one on a personal level, because you can tell how much he's wanted this. You can tell how hard he's been working. Hopefully this lets him be a little more free and not worry about Hey, I've got to get that first sack and he can go out there and play. Hopefully he feels more comfortable in the knee. We heard Vic Fangio say some of it's mental. You know, he's got to trust that knee. And we've seen, I think at times this year, where maybe he could bend a little bit more, he could cut back toward the quarterback and he's, he's hesitated to do so. Hopefully this gives him some uh, reassurance that he's doing okay. And Philip Bradley can get back to this type of guy where, you know, he's probably not going to have two and a half sacks every game, but, where he can be a threat that you have to account for. Uh, the Broncos' pass rush is going to be much better. They're going to be in better shape against some of these quarterbacks they have to play. And some of it, so you have to give credit to Vic Fangio because he blitzed a lot more than he usually does. And the fact that there was extra pressure coming, whether it was Alexander Johnson or Josie Jewell, that helped Bradley out too and helped the, the pass rush in general. Most definitely. I mean, it just makes you think – Gosh, what would this uh, pass rush be like if Von Miller was out there, if Jarrell Casey was out there? Because you saw what Chubb is capable of when he's just one-on-one. And uh, it seemed like almost every third down, Jewel was coming, Alexander Johnson was coming. uh, And that definitely freed up Chubb to uh, make some of these big plays. Uh, Nice to see Von on social media shouting out his guys. Uh, you know, uh, paying a compliment to Chubb there. And, you know, even after the game, Fangio referred to Chubb as, uh, with an adjective normally reserved for you, Eric, and that is uh, he's a warrior. Mm, 
I thought he was going to say he had an eye for the obvious. Uh, no, I guess that's a noun, huh? He was a warrior. He's a warrior. So normally lessons you get, uh, it all you sorts get of ice cream, ice cream and grammar. That's what yeah, you learn up. the difference between tendonitis and what, what were you calling it? Tentonitis? Tetanus. I think tetanus, yeah. tetanus is something else, I think. Bradley Chubb got his tetanus shot. Tetanus? I'll have to look that up. Uh, uh, yeah, let me look this up. That's definitely, tetanus is something. It's a serious illness uh, caused by bacteria. So. This is reflecting greatly on University of Colorado. Yeah, it's a serious bacterial infection that can cause uh, muscle spasms, and it can even lead to death, so. And that's what Bradley Chubb had. I'm glad he does not have that. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Happy he does not have that. So, Eric, uh, should we wrap this show up? Uh, looking ahead here, the Broncos, uh, a nice weekend to uh, recuperate. That's the one positive side about playing on a Thursday night. It's sort of like a mini bye week here where they can uh, – I don't think the Broncos will be back at a facility until Tuesday, a chance to uh, heal up get refreshed before uh, seeing if they could carry one win into another. Uh, they're going to be facing a very tough New England Patriots team uh, once again playing on the north in, in the Northeast. Yeah, you got to go back out there. Um, Cam Newton is playing really well, perhaps the best he's played since his MVP season uh, when the Broncos saw him in Super Bowl 50. Bill Belichick, we know he's going to attack your weaknesses. He takes away your best option. Uh, hopefully the Broncos – have Noah Fant available so that, uh, you know, Belichick at least has to choose between Melvin Gordon, Jerry Judy, and Noah Fant. And isn't, we don't want Belichick to wonder who the top option even is because of the injuries. And uh, uh, you're not going to get as many penalties uh, bailing, bailing them out, you know. So, you know, that's going to be a well-coached team that doesn't make some of those mental errors. Right. And we don't know who's going to start at quarterback yet. Uh, Vic has not. As we're recording this, he hasn't talked yet on Friday. I would be surprised if he – announces on Friday who's going to start next Sunday that would uh, it's got to be ripping Eric it's got to be what if Drew is ready because on his I I mean I would let it go up a little bit I would you know maybe Drew starts practicing next week when when Vic talked on KOA a few days ago he said there was a chance he could be back for New England and if not that then uh, Miami so let's see what happens I do think just to go back to the Jets game for one second, Phil, if you have Drew Locke there in that second half, I think you pull away a little bit. You know, Rippon played well in the first half, and I'm not sure how much a difference having Locke would have been then. But I think Locke avoids some of those mistakes. I think maybe you're able to have a more comfortable win. Um, but, Phil, I mean, we sat here two days ago, or yesterday, I guess, and said it's too early to talk about the Broncos getting back into playoff contention, but if you can get a win over New England, then I think then I think it's fair game to say, hey, you got a winnable game against Miami, and let's try to get back to 500. So the Broncos really have to focus in this week. You can't rest on your laurels from one game, even though all the people that are like it's just the Jets, I get that, but you beat who you play, and uh, for a team that's been struggling, just to get one, I think is an important step. So. See what happens this week. Maybe you can build on it. Maybe you can get another win, steal one, as we've been talking about. And then uh, really the whole season, despite all the injuries, is back in play. Yeah, and uh, 
you know, more than anything, it's just a positive, you know, it seems like maybe the cloud has lifted a little bit here where you just feel good about things over the weekend and you're not sitting here stewing about a loss or anything. You just feel positive. You feel energized. Uh, even though the team got back really late last night, Eric, but you still feel energized after a win. Of course. And, uh, you know, I think more than anything now you're just in position to say, we know how to win. We've won this game. We've got that taste in our mouth. Let's uh, see if you can steal one and just keep this thing going. You know, uh, the Broncos have played good teams tight, you know, that, that Titans game, that Steelers game, you know that they're capable of being in a, a close competitive game. Uh, it just, you know, talking about limiting mental errors, limiting some of those mistakes, you know, if the Broncos don't turn the ball over, you know, they're going to be in the mix. They've got the talent, healthy talent still to be in the mix. And then maybe you make a few plays here or there and who knows what, what happens. So. And, and I think they could still be in this for, a while just because with the seventh playoff team, you know, I think New England and Buffalo are probably both going to make it and Pittsburgh and Baltimore are probably both going to make it just because those four teams have been playing well. So two of those teams win the division, two of those teams get the wild card, but then you've got a group of Cleveland, Indianapolis, Las Vegas, the Chargers, the Dolphins and the Jaguars and the Broncos that are all, they're all kind of bunched up. They're either two and one or one and two, or excuse me, one and three in our case. And, and, so I wouldn't. I would be surprised if any of those teams like went crazy and went eleven and five. So, well, you never know. And the Texans, even though they're zero and three, you certainly feel like they have the talent to be right in the mix. Uh, they've played one heck of a schedule to start the season, similar to the Broncos. I mean, the Broncos have had played played some tough teams here. Uh, so, you know, you don't want to start looking too far down the line. And I'm not sure if you want to be in the same mix as the Jags, ultimately. <laughs> no shot there, but uh, – well, I guess that is a shot, but – It does, it does sound kind of like a shot. I don't mean anything by that. I'm just saying I, I'd be surprised if that team was able to, especially in that division, make a run. But, uh, you know, the Raiders are good. The Raiders are good. The I mean, there's a lot of good teams in there, but you're right, Eric. With that extra spot, you're just in the mix a lot longer into the season. But the Raiders, for example, their schedule fell over the next three weeks. Bills at Chiefs, Buccaneers. And oh. so, you know, there's a chance they're two and four in three weeks. And the Broncos play, obviously, uh, the Patriots, Dolphins, and and, and uh, Chiefs. And so both of those teams could be sitting there at a, around two and four and still, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, certainly possible you can be right in the mix. Yeah, and especially since the Broncos haven't played any division games yet. So, you know, once that once you start getting into those games, somebody, somebody I don't know who it was, says uh, those games count twice. So uh, I think that's only for the division title, though. They well, don't really count twice for the wild card. If it's the Raiders or the Chargers and you got to beat those teams for the wild card, uh, those wins are important, so. I'll take all the wins. Okay. I'll take all of the wins. Yeah. Exactly. The Broncos uh, playoff odds have improved to 12%, Phil. So <laughs> double digits. That's good. 
it's amazing week to week in the NFL how things feel. You lose a tough game to the Bucks, you feel like the world is ending. You beat the Jets, and the next day, we're talking about twelve percent here, Eric. Love it. Hey, that's higher than uh, higher than some other teams. Exactly. Not a lot of them, but some. <laughs> we love the schedule here on the neutral zone. We like to look and dive in and, and project. But let's just take the weekend, celebrate a big win over the Jets. Your Broncos are one and three and uh, living to uh, play another day, play another week, and uh, you get to enjoy the weekend here a little bit. So, Eric, anything else you'd like to add here before we wrap it up? No, I don't think so, Phil. Uh, we're on to New England. We're on to New England. Can't wait uh, for that those conference calls next week with uh, Bill Belichick and Cam Newton. Should be a high theater next week as the Broncos uh, move on and get set to face the Patriots. That will do it for us for our day after edition of the Neutral Zone. For Eric Dalla, I'm Phil Milani. You've been listening to... Good morning, Broncos. Uh, no, neutral. Uh, no.